Welcome to episode two of our podcast. And guess what? We have a name now. It's called In the Mix, The Legal Life of Ludacris. And I am your host, Professor Mo Ivory. And we are here at Georgia State College of Law. And again, we are here to share with you everything that we're doing in this amazing class, The Legal Life of Ludacris. Our first podcast just went amazing. We hope you enjoyed it. And our second one is going to be all about management agreements. So since we left you last, we had a couple of guests in our classroom that really came to talk to us about Ludacris his life as his managers and as his business manager and I'll tell you more about that a little bit later but first I want to introduce the stars of our show which are our students and one by one we're going to let them go down the line and introduce themselves and tell us what your name is what your year is and why you're interested in this class yeah so my name is Terrence Pryor I'm a 4L part-time student and I'm interested in this class because I have a very strong interest in sports and entertainment and uh, Ludacris is a very good example of a successful entertainer so I want to learn a lot about what it took for him to be successful all right my name is David Carducci I'm a 3L prior to law school I worked in the music industry for about 12 years so this seemed like a real natural class to take I'm interested in IP law generally and entertainment law falls perfectly into that my name is Juliana Mesa. I'm a 3L. Not really any prior experience with entertainment law, but I really like the idea of getting to understand how to work with a client that's getting into a lot of different types of businesses, taking their career in different directions, and working a lot on the negotiating skills, working with contracts and things like that. Hi, my name is Laura, and I'm a 2L part-time student, and I'm really interested in media law, so this class was a great segue to learn more about entertainment and music. Wonderful, wonderful. So see, that's a nice mix of year levels in our classroom all the time. So let's just jump right into it. When Ludacris's manager came, Jeff Dixon, he's a co-manager of Ludacris, actually, with his brother, Chaka Zulu. And we talked about management agreements. And tell me what was the one thing that Jeff said during this class that really stood out to you as we were beginning to study management agreements and what he said about his experiences with managing Ludacris, actually from day one, right? Him and his brother have been representing Ludacris since the radio days when they all worked at 97.5. So he said he takes a back seat and Chaka is kind of the one that does all the moving around with Ludacris. And what was interesting about him to you? Yeah, sign the contract. <laughs> he, he was very adamant about that, even though him and Ludacris don't have that type of relationship per se. But it was very interesting to just hear his perspective of how he works in the background while his brother works in the forefront and how the two go hand in hand. And I, it made me realize that you need both aspects to be a good manager. So that was very interesting to me. I thought it was really interesting that they don't have a written agreement. They have a handshake deal. And that really, I think, speaks to the core of what management is. If the talent doesn't trust the manager and the mm -hmm. manager doesn't trust the talent, then why are we working together? I don't think it's generally a good practice. I think you should have something in writing, but it, it kind of goes to their level of trust that they have together. My biggest takeaway was when he was talking about making sure that you surround yourself with people who understand the industry. I've had a lot of friends that got excited about me going to law school and they want me to check out their contracts and make sure they're good to go. <laughs> and I can look at a contract and say, that's probably not enforceable, but if I don't know what the industry is about. I don't know what you need as an artist or a manager. I'm not going to be the person that should be looking at this. So making sure that you have the right team behind you in all aspects, because I think he kept coming back to you. You might be able to have a good contract, but if you don't have the resources to litigate, that's going to be kind of a problem later on. So making sure you're good to begin with, but also have the good people to be able to make sure that everything is good 
throughout the entire process. Yeah, before Laura goes, I just want to say that that is so important. I think that's something that came out in the conversation that, you know, I think artists and anybody in the industry loves to say like, yeah, I'm signed and yeah, I have this deal. And when things go wrong, people think, oh, someone's gonna have to pay me a whole lot of money to get me out of this or, or if they're trying to get out of it. But what people don't understand is there's no payment unless there's litigation or a settlement. And many times people don't have the resources to move further. So if you want to get rid of your manager, but you don't really have the resources for someone to take that agreement and actually get you out of it, you could be stuck with that bad manager or the manager could be stuck with the artist. So it, it does get sticky. So Laura, what about Jeff stood out to you? Um, I thought it was interesting that he said when you're picking a client and working with a client, you really shouldn't want a career for your client more than they want it themselves. And in class, we talked about how that's true in a lot of different industries, even in the legal industry. I thought that was an interesting takeaway. And it kind of went to the management agreement that we looked at that talked about how you can opt out of a contract as a manager if your artist decides to just stop recording or decides not to get out of bed for 12 months. Sure, stop performing under the contract. Stop performing, right. Yeah, it's definitely a give and take. If you go into private practice, you very much could be representing a manager on one side and then you could be representing the artist on the other. And so one provision that we talked a lot about in class was the exclusivity provision where when you sign up with your manager, you're signing up with that manager exclusively and, you know, no other managers. Did that strike you as seeming overreaching or did that seem fair to you? It seems fair because of how much the manager has to do on the front end. So you could be paying your artist's rent and doing a lot of work on the front end. So it makes sense that you would want exclusivity with that person so that you don't do all of that work and then they go and find another manager once they've made it big. Yeah. I hate to use the analogy, but the manager is essentially like the CEO of your business. So you, you can't have dueling parties trying to do that and, to, and expect to be successful. Sure. So you need somebody at the top who's, for lack of a better word, managing the rest of the people in the team. And if, if you're having two or more managers, then you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a conflict of interest, right? If you got two people with two different mindsets and they're both trying to manage you at the same time, it's going to cause a lack in your career as an entertainer and the manager's career. They're not going to be able to grow as much as they would like. So, Which yeah. doesn't mean that you can't have co-managers, which, which they True. do. So they're going into it together under the same premise that, you know, we are your managers yeah. and they're on the same page with that. And that sounds like such a great thing because like somebody who moves around with the person and really is like in the grind, which is Chaka in this, in Ludacris' right. situation. And then Jeff, who kind of like, he does all the paperwork behind the scenes yeah. and kind of handles the business or whatever. That's a split of a percentage, right? So the two co-managers are splitting what is normally around 20%. So mm-hmm. there could become, if an artist isn't making like a whole lot of money, can there be a such thing as a manager feeling undercompensated? Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I think so. So when other managers start creeping in and say, for example, a manager is, say, David, you're the artist and the manager is not necessarily feeling you as much anymore and your career is not taking off like it was in 2018 and he hires someone to work in his management company and now that person's your manager. Well, that kind of goes to the key man clause issue that we were talking about in class. Yeah. I want to make sure that who I signed with is the person that is dealing with my day to day. And if they're not, then I need to be able to get out of this. Yeah. How important is that? 
I think in, in terms of expectations and making things really clear up front, who you're signing up to work with, as David said, if you're signing up with like a management company because you want to work with that specific person, it should be very easy for the artist to either get that from their manager or be able to walk away and find somebody else that they're willing to work with. When we do the, our mock negotiations, and you know, sometimes with the artist and sometimes with the manager, you know, the manager's gonna wanna push back on that a little bit because what a manager's thinking in the back of their heads at all times is I may find another client bigger or one of my clients on my management roster may get bigger than another client and I need to be able to move with the client that's really big. But when you're in your career and you're representing the the artist you want to protect the artist the best way that you can and so you want to definitely put that key man clause in and maybe you will or won't get it depending on what kind of a manager you're negotiating with but that's really important because there's been many artists who have been shifted off to somebody else in the company because their career started to decline or they just you know got to the point where the person who was managing them wanted to move on and manage somebody else and it doesn't mm -hmm. even mean their career was declining so that's a very important aspect of the agreement so let's talk about our next guest who came in, Janai Thornton, who is Ludacris's business manager. And Janai is responsible for all of Ludacris's money. Okay, so she is like hugely important in his career. And again, so atypical of any career. She's been with him from the first day. So both the managers and the business managers have been working together since the inception of Ludacris's career. Did it not seem to you that she's almost like the ringleader of like the whole operation, like a CFO kind of would be. Did you get that feeling? Yeah, I definitely yeah, did. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody's getting paid if she, <laughs> right. unless she lets it happen. Right, and she, she came in with all her charts and yeah. everybody would need to have that or it seems like everybody would want to have that, right, in order to be successful. How important do you think it is to say to your client, you know, here I am, an artist, I'm coming to you, Terrence, I'm brand new, I want, you know, you to be my lawyer. What are you going to say to your client when they're first starting out that way? Yeah, and I, I think it's vital for them to understand the, the importance of the business aspect, right? And I think that's what she, when she came to our class, she made that very evident that finances are a lot. They play a huge role. Like you said, she was a ringleader, so she kind of controlled everything. So as a lawyer, I'll say, hey, you know, before you come to me and say you want to be a big star, right, let's make sure you have everything in line. Let's make sure you have a financial business partner. You have managers in line. And then with me, I'll be, as a lawyer, I would be able to facilitate you going forward so that I'll make sure that any contract that you sign with any of these people, your manager, business manager, even uh, agents, I'll make sure that those contracts are protecting you and you have your best interest in for. Yeah. Why do you think it's important for the lawyer and the business manager to have a great relationship? I think it's important because the lawyer is the one that's closing all of the deals that the artist is doing, but they also, from the business manager's perspective, they have to make sure that that deal is financially sound and is going to be the right choice for that artist. Another thing that she said that I found really interesting was how she has to educate her clients on what gross compensation actually looks like for mm. them. So just because you, you know, may be getting paid $3 million, what that looks like after everyone has been paid and what that means for the rest of your career. Are you going to be getting that every year or is this three million going to have to last you the next 10 years? Sure. 
And what about the payments in terms of like the lawyer? If there's a situation where she talked to us about how a lot of the times, and, I, and I've told you all this many times, that a lawyer will get paid through a letter of direction and an agreement. So let's suppose that the lawyer is negotiating a movie deal, right? And the lawyer will say to the movie company inside of the agreement that their 5% fee or 10% if they're a super big entertainment lawyer comes straight from the movie company when the agreement is signed. But let's suppose you're not doing it that way. And you're billing by the hour and you're trying to collect your money. How important would the relationship with the business manager be at that point? I mean, in terms of your own financial well-being as a lawyer, that's pretty important to make sure that you have a good relationship where you're getting paid on time and for the time that you actually worked. I know that billing and how many hours you are billing can be kind of contentious with clients sometimes because it's hard to keep track of how much time you should be spending on something versus how much time you are spending on something if your intern, your summer associate should be doing it. So to have that relationship and that trust between the attorney and the business manager seems really important. And David, from any of your personal experience, I know you've been in the business for a long time. Have you had any experience with business managers? Honestly, no. We worked with really small clients, to be honest. So we always had in our management agreement that once you were making over a hundred grand a year, then you had to go out and find a business manager, oh, which obviously we would help mm-hmm. you find, but you don't have to hire who we want you to hire. Sure. Because it's somebody that you want the artist to be feel comfortable with. But until they were making like a threshold amount of money, it's not useless or pointless. It's not their best financial decision to just keep sure. throw another extra percentage out at somebody sure. when you're not making much as sure. it is. A- yeah. Absolutely. And you don't want to be silly with the little bit of money you have right. by you know hiring on a business manager when there's not that much of a pot to discuss. And so that, that was good. And so when they did get a business manager, was there sort of a shift in the role that you all played as managers? No. The managerial role still stays the same where you're looking out for the best interests of the client, trying to get them in the best deals, get them the best gigs, get them with the best agent, routing the tours, planning the tours, planning the the release schedules, getting them the producers, all that stuff still sticks. Just the money didn't come through us where it didn't always. With some artists, the, the money would come through us first and then go out. Yeah. With others, the money would go directly to them and then they would pay the management company. Just kind of depended on the relationship between the, the head manager and, and the artist. That's wonderful. So after going through the management agreements and listening to both Jeff and Janai, would you want to be the lawyer for the artist or would you want to be the lawyer for the manager? I think I still want to be the lawyer for the artist. You have a soft spot for the artist? I do. I do have a soft spot for the artist. And, you know, I just want to make sure that everything that they do is taken care of, right? So, and I think the managers, they kind of come in with a business savvy already saying, hey, this is what we need to do in order for our sales to be successful as the manager. So, I think the artist needs someone looking out for them. Certainly that's true sometimes, unless, of course, your manager is like your cousin or, you know, your aunt or, you know, (laughs) your mom, then not always do they come to the table with that kind of experience. But what about you, David? Obviously, you want to be the manager. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a soft spot for managers. Um, But I I think like Terrence was saying, like, I do think that a lot of times, unless it is the smaller, you know, the family or the friend guy who's trying to come in and manage, I think managers are typically going to be the ones who come to the table with an agreement first. And then the artist probably, especially if it's their first deal, they don't have a clue what they're looking for. They don't know if it's any good or or not. 
So I think they're likely in more need of explanation and education. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you find that, you know, when I was a practicing entertainment attorney, you know, I don't know how to quantify how much time I put in with my clients just explaining to them what agreements meant and the concepts of, you know, how they were going to get paid under this agreement. The idea that things were recoupable. And if your manager spends, you know, $12,000 on your rent in three months, you're going to have to pay that back the first $12,000 that you get. And so it's really very important important to educate if you're on the client side, your client, because you'll only end up with a very angry client Mm -hmm. when the money starts rolling in if they truly don't understand what's being spent. So would you, what side would you be on? Um, So I really connected with Jeff's presentation because he was more of like that behind the scenes guy and that's more my personality anyway. I think working with managers and being more of the person that kind of runs the show kind of in the background though. (laughs) So that's, that's more where I gravitate. Yeah. I think I would rather work with the artist just because I I think to your point about really believing in a client's goal and like where they want to take their career, I think there's a lot of creativity in like what they want to do and I think that it would be more rewarding to work with the entertainer. One thing I've noticed about the just the, the limited amount of artists that I've met, they just want to create, right? They, I want to create. I want you know, give me the canvas. I you know, let it be blank and let me put it on there. So they don't they don't really worry about the specifics and the ins and outs. So that's part of the reason why I think you know a, an artist needs a lawyer. Well, they sure do. So do managers. So we just need two artists and two managers, and they are set to go in absolutely, here. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I want to say thank you guys so much. I've been really enjoying hearing what you think about, you know, the classes and the the speakers when we come into the podcast because our class goes so fast, and then it's like poof, nine o'clock, and we have to run. And so it's just been really a pleasure doing this. So tell us as we exit what is up for your future and what you're looking forward to being once you graduate from law school. Yeah. So once I graduate from law school, uh, I kind of have two interests that are on a very different ends of the spectrum, but I do want to practice data privacy, but I also like sports and entertainment, but I'm going to find a way to mold the two. So (laughs) that's that's the plan. All right. Future is still up in the air, looking at IP firms and IP practices and also looking at clerking. Okay, that's two different kinds of things. Yeah, very. Yeah. <laughs> I want to litigate, so I will do uh, more of the civil litigation. Stuff. Wow, okay. What kind of matters do you want to litigate? So I spent my, my summer with two different firms. One was really big firm with hundreds and hundreds of attorneys. One was a smaller boutique litigation firm. A lot of commercial litigation, so that's kind of what I like to do. I love it. I'm not 100% sure, but I think I want to practice media law. That's wonderful. So everybody, thank you so much. Big round of applause. And um, so that ends our podcast for this session on management agreements. And we are moving into producer agreements. We're really excited about that. And that will be the next topic of our next podcast. So thanks so much for listening. I'm Mo Ivory, and it's a wrap.